recording has begun. <laughs> this is a person, everyone, that I could talk to literally for hours. In fact, she started digging into the good stuff and it was too soon. <laughs> I was like, wait, I have to start recording. Um, this beautiful person, Leslie Van Every, and I have known each other for many, many years. How many years now? Oh my God. Oh, good God. How old is baby? <laughs> decade? I mean, clearly at least a decade. Yeah. She made, she made a blanket when Alice was born. We still have the blanket. Um, but we worked together at CBS uh, many moons ago on Chow, which was a food website. And Leslie was important PR lady at that time. She's had many lives and many jobs as, as, as you know, all of us, right? I mean, all of us who are like in our forties in Silicon Valley, <laughs> this oh, is our yeah. world. What do you think is the most important bio for people to know about you? Like, what are, what do you say is your bio? Um, thank you for asking. I would say, um, for me, one of the things is always like co-founder of Solidarity Sundays, a nationwide activism group that has been around since January of 2016. So it was pre-Trump, just getting women and men uh, to really put their, you know, mouth where their opinions were, I guess you could say, by like talking and um, sending emails to people in Congress. And it's been an amazing, amazing opportunity. There are like, I think, at least... 50 different groups of Solidarity Sundays that meet once a month um, to do actions. And there's a team of like five or six women now that create the info scripts and an online Facebook group of like about 7,000, 17,000 people. So it's, it's a good thing. I have written about this on Beautiful Voyager. I think I did a little like thing about you and Solidarity Sundays because it feels the grassroots nature and community building yeah. nature of it feels so aligned with beautiful Voyager. So I've, I've, I always applaud your work in helping people take action instead of just feeling stuck. I think that's the real power of Solidarity Sundays. Um, okay. Next question for you. And this I'm kind of interested in, but I think I know the answer. Do you describe yourself as an overthinker? Oh God, all the time. Yes. 24 seven. What are some of the signs how does your, do you think of it as anxiety? And if so, like, how does that show itself? I, you know, that's a great question. For me, my version of anxiety presents itself in two different ways. One is uh, sleeplessness, like waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to go back to sleep. And the other one is uh, procrastination. Actually, I would say three. Uh, procrastination plus, you know, depression at times, which I think is, you know, a really understandable part of and um, example of where anxiety can take you, you know, feeling kind of hopeless, taking a nap instead of doing the things you need to do, or, you know, being on Facebook or Instagram instead of focusing on the actions that you have to do and the work that needs to get done. So for me, it is a constant struggle to not let the waves of anxiety and insecurity stop me from doing the work. And when I talk about the work, it's not just like the action work, it's the like 
the signing of the dotted line, the like, I mean, and it, it can be amazing how my anxiety shows up. It, it shows up in such bizarre ways, like not paying even a $50 bill, which, which, you know, is not, which shouldn't be a big deal. Um, you know, it's just a few clicks away, but for some reason it can be like a, a terrible, paramount, just gutting thing to do. And I can't explain why. Oh, because it has to do with money and money goes back to like shame. We should be putting it away and all these questions that just flood your mind. And it was one of those beautiful moments when talking to you that I was like, ah, wait, all these things aren't just my little ticks. This is, this is something, this is something more. Um, this is something more. And the work that I put to sort of settle my brain is a lot of like exercise and journaling and just trying to do things. Sewing, sewing. Is I was going to say, you know, as your friend, it's, you are such a doer. I mean, all you, all you are doing all the time is like making stuff and incredible crafts and building friendships, very deep friendships with people through creativity. Like you've got this most amazing group of women that you're friends with and you all dress incredibly head to toe in like, like clothes you have made yourselves. It's just amazing. Oh yeah. This is a, um, a, a group of women um, that started as like a, a working parent group and it's called Dames um, Au Gateau. And we go to old 19, like old restaurants, 50 plus years old and like have crazy desserts and like crazy dinners there. And we wear like bananas outfits that have hats that it's just like so over the top. We not surprisingly get ripperingly drunk. There's a lot of cackling involved. It's awesome. I'm so into it. And it seems so healthy mental health wise. Like it is so healthy to hang out with your friends the way you do. I just, I really think it's great. So, but the, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't these other procrastination times and procrastination is super emotional. Like that's something that I think we in the past, people just use the word procrastination, but like that is an emotional thing, like not being able to do something for a variety of reasons or pushing yeah. it off. Um, it's because there's so there's tension and fear there. Do you think that knowing other overthinkers helps you um, with your anxiety and or depression? Absolutely. I would say that one of the best gifts you ever gave me is when you were like, oh yeah, I'm going through this. Oh yeah. It's this thing that I was like, I'll never forget. We would have these like completely crazy, like once a year, four hour, like just meetups for coffee. And be like, and by the way, usually after I had gotten let go from a startup, there was a period there where it was like after every of my crazy startup <laughs> jobs, I would have my time, my Leslie time would yes. follow. And I'm like, well, it's one upside <laughs> that this job is over is I get to be with Leslie again. Because we have like a lovely, you know, morning. It usually started at like 10 o'clock in the morning and would go like two o'clock. It was yeah. amazing and I loved it. And so one time you were like, it's this thing, GAD, general anxiety disorder. And like, it's, it's a thing. And I'm like, holy crap. It's such a thing. It's profoundly a thing. And I am so oh, grateful that you gave me the language and then gave me so many solutions in the beautiful book you wrote. It's, it's so good. God, 
Thank it's you. It's amazing. It's really, I, I feel very lucky that I can like turn down the corners of specific pages that I think are really relevant and be able to hand it off. Thank you again. Some people, if they read the book to the acknowledgements part, may find your name in it because you are one of the first readers, which <laughs> means a very trusted person in my world who I thought would have like great insights or, or at least tell me like it worked, like this book is on the right track, which is really the hardest thing when you're first writing something is like, oh my God, right path, not right path. Yeah, yeah totally, <laughs> totally, totally. But it was the right path. All right. It was like, so the right path. And you were so funny. You were so like, it's just a silly, sassy book. You could, you know, just leave it in the bathroom and read it. There. I always say that it's toilet reading. The reason yeah. I say it's toilet reading is to me, like my favorite newsletters or my favorite little things are toilet reading because they're like, it's like, you don't, you doesn't have to be like a big deal. It's like, I can just like pick it up, dip into it. It's fine. I can enjoy it. It's almost like a, um, like a little, like guilty pleasure almost. Oh my God. Like, oh my God, you're hilarious. I call it more like toothbrush, <laughs> toothbrush reading. Toothbrush time. Two minutes, it's two minutes on my yeah. toothbrush. Yeah, I like things that are very digestible, like quickly digestible like that. Yeah, just for the bathroom. It's that great. You're so cute. And you're the best. <laughs> oh God, I, um, I feel this next, my next question for you is like very obvious to me, but in what way do you try to be a lighthouse for other people? I think there are many ways. Um, I personally think being an active listener is one of the best things I've ever learned in my life. So like being an active listener means that you are really absolutely listening to this person. You're not like fiddling with your phone. You're not, you know, looking at other people. You are really making a giving of yourself fully to someone. And you are so good at that. It's the thing that makes me happiest that I can really listen because people have extraordinary things to say like they're there it's it's just mind-blowing so i i don't know if that's me being a lighthouse but it is I, it might that be is, that like is how you connect with others that is how you shine <laughs> but the other thing you do i will say having gotten to work with you is that you you always put humans first like a lot of people at work out of fear i'm sure kind of put corporations first, which I get, but you always had such a human approach and it was like, okay, we're connecting as people and then we're doing this work. It was never, you didn't have that tension that a lot of people have where their, their work is who they are. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's the humans that make work interesting. Um, it's the humans and how they look at solving a problem and how they can help create these beautiful stories that to me is like, my God, the reason, the reason to be, the reason to live is to like, because every, maybe I'm very lucky because, you know, I'm in communications and content and I just, I live for stories and, and everybody has one and that makes the way they, talk and their solutions and the questions they ask it like it's the glasses it's their vision it's their view their perception that makes the story better 
You know what what I mean? are some of the stories that you've read? If you can think of them, I know it's always hard to remember what you're reading, but something that you've read recently, a story profile, anything that really struck you like, wow, this is, this is incredible. I would say there was a story um, written in the New York times by Danielle something. I'm so embarrassed that I can't remember it, but it was not all like, you want a civil war monument my body is... oh i remember that that was recent right like last week or a couple weeks ago? Yeah, yeah that was very recent and for me personally as a person you know who looks so white but is actually you know has the heritage you know of you know an enslaved people black as well as native american but i don't have a single white person in my ancestry that i've been able to find this really struck me in such a way and it was something that like it was a story that you usually don't see and so that was really an extraordinary piece for me to read I'm trying to think of like other stories. i mean that piece really was extraordinary i think one of the things that made it that way was we don't often look at ourselves or the people we know as other cultures do this more but as like the amalgam of the people that came before right and like this sort of idea of all these people being there with their stories expressing itself through what you see that was a pretty mind-blowing concept that is just not a concept that's often told yeah especially in america where the concept of self-made man self-made yeah. person is so essential we don't acknowledge at times a whole group of people behind you know that help somebody get to that next level it's it's humbling and beautiful at the same time to really break down that concept and that we are all connected to someone else's success or someone else's failure the the next part of this conversation is this area that i always call like what is the topic that is on your mind right now like this is your time this little moment right now to talk about something that you've been curious about or you've been thinking about it's kind of like what is something that you would like to talk about that you haven't gotten a chance to talk about elsewhere you know this has been an extraordinary year uh, on many different levels for me personally it's almost a year of reckoning it's a year of um, reflecting back as well as looking at what, reflecting back on the stories that I told myself, that I made of myself, and saying, are these the stories that I want to continue moving forward in my life? And I know you would think at the age of 50 that I would have that settled, but I don't. And it is beautifully, as I said before, humbling and extremely amazing that at any age one can find their next level. One can reach for the extraordinary when one never thought one could. And the extraordinary changes for everyone. And for me, mine is so subtle and, but I think really important and um, dear reader, as I've said, like, so I married him, dear reader, I am black. I am white presenting black. And 
this is something that I would usually kind of like mumble or say in unusual ways. Like my father was the first black journalist full time at Newsweek, which is a lot easier for people to say like, oh, what is okay. And just a lot of people take for granted their race. White people certainly do. Even black people. Um, you know, people, all people of color, for the most part, are very able to center who they are. And I have a skin that does not show my heritage. And um, it could have been very easy for me to pass. Uh, but that was never an option that I wanted, because that would mean not acknowledging all of those people behind me, the ancestors that have made me, me. So that concept of a self-made person has never felt right for me. And the ability to say who I am and to claim my heritage by saying white presenting black means that I can claim my blackness. And I have to also be okay with people not being okay with it yeah that's 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 that's, that's some next level challenge that's, that's some serious next level challenge it's not even from white people it's a lot more from black people yeah you're not black enough you really aren't like you have not you have seen no you know you have not experienced any of the negative side effects and i'm like you're right i haven't i haven't for the most part but when i do tell somebody i assure you i I get, I get stuff. Yes, I can, you know, drive my car and not be pulled over. Yes, I'm not called an angry black woman. When I say things, it's relatively kind, mostly believed. So I don't have that, but you can't, there's a certain way when you're raised by two people who are black, who have been raised black themselves, when your father looks black, you know, you experience a lot of things. I've Absolutely. I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking, you know, to discount your experience with your parents, to discount the things that you are learning from your father growing up um, and his experiences in the world and his experiences as a, as a journalist and like how formative that is. And side note, both Leslie and I lost our fathers around the same time. So we are also bonded. Um, I've always followed her posts about her dad like I you know I feel close to her relationship with her father because of mine um but to to discount like what that is the the, the lessons we learn through that yeah. relationship and from those people is is really? very um myopic I think it's like really missing something really important what do you yeah. think your dad would have said like did you talk to him about these topics like what what did he say about white mm -hmm. passing or like how other people may perceive you like did that ever come up I remember um I was very young um maybe like seven years old when I was talking to my dad about something and he's like but I look white I mean I could just be white and it like stopped my father in his tracks and he was like do you know what that means to pass to pass means that you do not get to ever acknowledge me you do not get to oh if we were to pass on the street 
you could not say hello. I could not hug you. I could not touch you. I could not be with you because that would not be right. And and as a journalist, he had to be super aware of Anatole Briard, right? Like oh, that was yeah. like a, you know, a very uh, well-known story at that time. Totally. It's so funny you should mention that book. Um, I, uh, you had mentioned it to me and I was like, oh, I got to read this. Um, funny fact, um, Briard's cousin was a very good friend of my family's. Like they're the, fam the cousin's family and my mother's family, very close. I know so much about that family um and they're you know louisiana and they were they were black they had kids that were as light as me and were still black and they were super smart but total sidebar um so when i read that book and how she was trying to claim pieces of blackness and this feeling and that by the way this is bliss Briard, the yes. daughter of anatole Briard. so anatole Briard, a famous writer who passed as white his entire career right i mean that was the whole time yeah his daughter wrote a book that i worked on many oh. many 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 years ago at hardcore yeah. and um and it was about her realization about her father um her father's like family and and history yeah totally and um how she was like is this the reason why i dance well is this you know like things that like if you were a person of color you would just, you would just, I cringed. Like, I'm like, that's not, you right. can't, you <laughs> right. are, that is a, oh, that's a stereotype girl. No. And, and it, honey, honey. <laughs> and it was just so clear to me that she never, that she was raised white and so deeply raised white. And she will always be white because that is her experience. That is how her parents lived their lives. And I look at that and I'm like, wow, that's, yeah, you're a white girl. And I respect everything about this, but mm, no, you can't, you can't speak to that, that experience. You can't just take a DNA test and say that right. that's it. But um, whereas culturally you were raised black. Yep, exactly. And so I'm sort of the opposite of Bliss Broyard for that. And neither of us are, God, what's the name of that woman? The one who. Are you talking about, are you yes. talking about, I know, yes. <laughs> I feel like I should know her name immediately. Was the first name Rebecca? Uh, uh, Rachel Dolezal. Thank and you. Of, <laughs> Thank you. So, but both of us are not Rachel Dolezal no. because that <laughs> is ridiculous. And no, you can't, you know, quote unquote, code switch that right. one bit. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot and yeah, she did not go to Jack and Jill. She did not, you know, have to deal with the concept of good hair or the paper bag test or, you know, a, a ton of other things, which are really um, essential pieces of what the black experience is in the United States, which, you know, I'm not saying I can claim all of it, but it literally says Negro on my birth certificate. So I got to claim some of it. It's so complex because your daughter is the peach. I mean, oh my God. her yeah. first name is Georgia. Her middle name is peach. She looks like a peach. She's got like the, just the fairest complexion. Oh, yeah. She looks like a little Dutch doll. She looks Dutch. She absolutely <laughs> looks Dutch. And so I feel like part of the reckoning 
is like backward looking and forward looking, right? Totally, totally. And so my experience is, and because my husband is white, Eric is white, I can't say, you know, you have no white heritage and you know, you got, you got, you have someone you can literally point to who is full on white and that is fine. And the one thing I can do is always remind her of her heritage. Like, yes, you are white, but your grandfather was black and he did these things. And it is your job because you have this connection to your grandfather, to your grandmother, to all these people that you may not even know, but they- I know, I know. And we have, we, our kids are similar ages. We lost our fathers at similar times. And I think there is something, especially about wanting your child to feel connected to someone they never really got to spend much time with, or, you know, got to spend some time as a little kid, but- That's hard. It is hard. And so all I can do is, you know, try to remind her that like, it is her job to use her wonderful white skin to open doors for, you know, black indigenous people of color. Like that's, that's her job. And to always remember that because that's what, that's what you do. And that's a wonderful thing to do. I have no doubt that she will open many doors too. <laughs> uh, <I can> hope. <laughs> um, what I want to get back a little bit to overthinking and anxiety and just yeah. sort of understand from you how, what are some things that work for you? You mentioned exercise. Like what do you do to help as you're thinking of these topics and you're sort of living right. this time of reckoning, like how, how, what's, what's working? So one of the, there are so many things that are working and I feel very lucky, but at the same time, I have to commit to them. And so for me to do like little things, like sometimes I will literally say out loud, you know, as, you know, a woman of color, as a white presenting black person, and just think about like how these, and just even just saying it a few times, these concepts saying it helps me be more grounded in it definitely so for me doing like literal vocal uh training if you would uh, through right you know saying this definitely helps and also talking to friends about this stuff like the more i talk to people about it the more comfortable i become in being you know a person who has a lot to give in this space and and just thinking about like how can i make a difference and solidarity sundays was really for me a, a pivotal piece of it because um as we know i feel like in the past few months we particularly learned that you know you cannot and you should not rely on black people to tell you how to be an anti-racist, you know? And because I have been, you know, the way I look, a lot more, you know, white women will come to me and ask me questions because they find it easier. Um, And I feel like it's my gift to my Black 
sisters and you know, what have you, that I can at least help on these pieces. I can help um, take that. It's also tiring, I imagine. Tiring. Mm, Sometimes it's tiring. tiring for me too, um, to the point where I can't even deal with it. And I've yeah. had to have other people even talk to people on my behalf because I yeah. just some things that are too gutting. But like, you know, some and but sometimes you just have to like lay in it. And I feel like I feel like the thing that sometimes helps me is saying, okay, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna say three things that I'm super grateful for tonight. And one thing that I'm gonna let go of. And sometimes I'll actually say that same thing that I'm gonna let go of a couple nights in a row. You know, or more. And, or or more. more. Yeah, or more. Or more. And I so, that is a great tip, by the way. I think I might need to add a what am I gonna let go of? Yeah. I'm so grateful for these things. And today I'm gonna let go of I'm gonna let go of of body shame. Today I'm gonna let go of just worrying about, you know. Exactly. The graying out. <laughs> totally. 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 I yeah. know. So that's one of the ways that I try to um and try to be consistent. And and the most important thing I can do is like just forgive myself. I feel like forgiving is like it's so hard. It's so hard to forgive. Well, ourselves. it's so easy to form the words. It's so hard to feel them. Yeah, right. It's so easy to be like, I'm going to forgive myself. Right. Yes. But like, what does that really mean? It's like actually the feeling that is the hard part. Absolutely. I feel a particularly for a lot of women that have been going through, I should say just like a lot of really smart, amazing, you know, white women are like, I don't know what to do. I just feel such shame right now during this amazing movement. Or I feel such shame that I can't homeschool my kid the way I want to right now. Or I feel so much shame for like not being able to cook, for not being able to do all this stuff that like we've been told to do. And I feel so much shame for it. I feel shame. I feel less than. And, you know, sometimes I just need to let go of that. I need to forgive myself for letting my child eat frozen pizza <laughs> or dinner three nights in a row. And or screen time. I'm always trying to be like, well, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think the idea of the storytelling, like white presenting black, white presenting black, like saying it over and over to the point where it loses its charge. Exactly. So interesting. And, you know, there's this uh, podcast. Uh, it's about, um, it's Zach Shepard's podcast partner, Monica Padman, did this dating podcast with her best friend Jess who is a man a man who sleeps with many other men she never sleeps with anyone right they are two very different people going through a dating podcast and what was interesting about it the most interesting thing is every episode they would talk to different people that had advice and thoughts and like gave them challenges to improve the problems that the challenges they were having with vulnerability but what they found was by the end, the things they were so scared to talk about in the beginning, like the first few episodes, they were so scared to say, I was the only Indian girl in my class and that made me behave this way. She was so nervous to say that. But by the end, she's like, I'm sick of my story now. Like I have said my story so many times that now it's just lost its charge. And I keep thinking, 
like that does seem like a path forward somehow on something yeah to like keep keep going for it until and i try to do that with instagram by the way i try to like post until i I post things that would have made me so uncomfortable a few years ago thinking like you know what i wanted to lose its charge like who really cares no one really cares like if i have a double chin in this who cares i'm this i'm not going to worry about i'm doing this i love this I think that is so important. And especially with Instagram, like, I think we take it all so seriously. Like if you do something this way on social media, it's going to be like, you're right. Just have to like throw it out there. Because people forget really fast, by the way. Like, it's just like, people are more concerned with themselves. They forget really fast. And they'll take the story that you give them on face value. Like no one is going to have the charge you have when you say white presenting black or whatever that topic may be for yourself as you do but like for you it's so hard to say but people don't realize it like they may not realize it's hard to talk about mental health or to be gawky or to show your gray or whatever that might be Uh, Um, okay i'm going to turn off the recording